This episode of Solar Stories is produced by Mouth Media Network and presented by Solar. The unique challenges that I have, obviously, is making sure that my social influence life, my my social media influence life, doesn't conflict in any way with my operatic life. I have to make sure that I'm always engaging the people in a way that reminds them that this is my art, that I'm an artist, an entertainer, that I'm an opera singer primarily. And even if I do branch out and do other things, it's all because I want to bring people back to the art form. Marsha Thompson is a person of influence. She speaks several languages, travels the world, and champions the movement of a vital art form into the modern cultural landscape. Okay, I may have buried the lead. She's a formidable opera singer. Marsha left college where she had a full scholarship with just six credits to go to audition for her first show. The rest is history. Coming up, how the landscape of operas are changing to reflect the times, how her brother Christopher Holland helped her utilize social media to connect with her audience and share her gift with the world, how physical techniques separate opera from other forms of singing, and last but not least, Marsha offers an exclusive in-studio performance of her remarkable soprano talent. I'm George Manley, and you can find Marsha on Instagram at Devaria Show and her story on this episode of Solar Stories, the art and business of influence. Well, Marsha Thompson, thank George you. George Manley. <laughs> Thank you very much for being uh, with us here today at Solar Stories, and thank you for bringing your brother, the wonderful Mr. Christopher Holland, um, who is also your brand manager. Yes. Um, you are an opera singer, which is, I think, rare. We actually just, for our listeners out there, we actually just went through the numbers to see how many opera houses there are in the U.S. versus Europe, et cetera, and I think we should talk about that because... Uh, your initial um, um, sort of discussion around like our contributions to the arts in this country, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you don't mind, why don't we start with your story? I'd love to know more about you. Um, and again, just to sort of highlight what Solar Stories is, at some point in this conversation, um, are th the people that really listen to these podcasts are people that are either in the solar community Mm -hmm. like us yeah or they're people that are inspiring uh they want to become influencers they want to become artists and so like it's always great to ask people who sit down as guests to give us like tricks of the trade like how did you become a professional at what you do and mm -hmm. all of the above so we'll get into that as well if that's okay that sounds great okay <laughs> so marcia let's let's hear your story start as far back as you would like well I was I was born on a naval base, naval base in Corpus Christi, Texas. My dad was in the Coast Guard, and then we moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, when I was about two and a half. And uh, one day, when I was about four and a half, five years old, 
on Good Morning America, there was Sinichi Suzuki. I thought it was Boston Pops on PBS, but my mom corrected me the other day. <laughs> because it's funny my... what we remember versus what the truth is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I do remember them making me sit and watch PBS on the weekends. Like, no regular television, only PBS. Good. Because I sort of had a, a the, you know, the tiger mom. My mom was a panther mom. <laughs> she was <laughs> she was very strict. Uh, she was an education guru, and she, she really uh, believed in making sure that we had a well-rounded education. So I was watching Good Morning America, and there were the little children with Sinichi Suzuki playing on their little violins. And I said, Mommy, I said, what are they doing? And she says, oh, they're, they're playing the violin, and they're moving the bow across the string to make a sound. And I said, yeah, I said, I can do that. <laughs> she How said, old were you? I was, I was five. I just <laughs> turned five, like four and a half, five years old. And she said, well, how do you think you, how do you know that you can do that? I said, I just know I, I can, def I can definitely do that. <laughs> so later that year, I started taking violin lessons and um, I went to college on a violin scholarship. Where'd you go to college? I went to University of Houston, Moore School of Music. It was wow. a public university, great university, lots of diversity, lots of money. I had a full scholarship. And there I was in the orchestra pit playing for my first opera, which was Alcina and Handel. And it was very boring. <laughs> for it was me boring in the playing. pit. Yeah, in the, in pit, the pit. It was boring for me because there there's all this this space in the score where you have to count and you're not playing anything. So I'm just sitting there and I'm looking up on stage and I'm like, wow, they're having way more fun than us. <laughs> so I changed my major a year later and started studying voice and majored in, in operatic studies. Yeah, but how did you know that you can just change your major and say, I'm going to become an opera singer or you need, you need to learn if you actually have the voice that can get to that range. So I did a couple of summers Prior to college, I went to a music camp at Kansas University in mm -hmm. Lawrence, Kansas, mm -hmm. and um, all of the string players had to sing in the choir. Oh, okay. That was a requirement because there is something called ear training as a professional musician where you need to learn how to sing by ear, play by ear as well, and also write music by ear. We practiced that in school as well. So we were we that part of the curriculum for that summer was all of the string players playing in the choir, uh, singing in the choir. And there was an audition for solo and I of course, you jumped on that. <laughs> I jumped on it, and I said, oh, why not? I'll give it a try, and I, I, I was one of the soloists. Actually, I had to share the solo with a young woman who was there as a singer that summer because they said, well, you can't beat someone who's here actually studying voice, so you're going to share the solo with her. I said, okay, whatever. I had no idea what I was going doing. I was just having fun, you know? But then when I got to college, I realized that it was something I really wanted to do. Yeah. So when you graduated, you jumped right into doing it professionally? When I graduated, um, actually, I didn't graduate at first. I had been in school so long because of the double major I right. was trying to complete. Right. And I was over it. I had six hours left in college. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I went to New York. Six credit hours. Six credit hours. Yeah. But I, I quit. I was like, I'm not doing this It wasn't this your anymore. last day and you had I, six hours left. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Six credit hours. That's correct, George. We've been there. We, you, I'm sure we've all been there, right? We're just... I had a U-Haul packed 
<laughs> in the parking lot during my last exam in college, and I didn't walk with my class because I wanted to get the hell out of school. Okay. I was so there. I was over it. And I went to New York and auditioned for a show in Italy called Aida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which a lot of people may be familiar with oh, yeah. from the Broadway Aida. Right. Well, this is obviously the opera Aida. Mm -hmm. And I was chosen as one of the people to join in the cast with a famous director named Franco Zeffirelli. And Franco Zeffirelli is the man who produced the 1960s Romeo and Juliet movie. A really oh famous yeah, Romeo yeah, and Juliet movie, yeah. and he did many other movies. So he's a film director and a stage director. And, uh, of course, I jumped on that, and I used the money that I made from that to move to New York City. To so, pursue this To more. pursue opera full-time, yeah. So that's the story. That's sort of the beginning of the story. That's the short version. I mean, you know, everybody's got a long version. I'm going to give you the short-ish version. <laughs> so... um you are now doing other things and you're also someone who is, you know, branching out with your personal brand and you're mm -hmm. connecting with brands as an yes. ambassador and all of the above. You're working with solar. So the thing that I find so impressive about you beyond your uh, artistic talents is that you are uh, an ambitious person that wants to sort of brand the world that you're in and make it a little broader. So we started talking about that before we were on mic and mm -hmm. you said it yourself. You're like, the U S doesn't give enough money to the arts, particularly mm -hmm. to opera. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when I think of opera, I think of um, like, you know, out West when I've been out West, like almost every little like mining town and all of that, that, you know, or hundreds of years old had like a little opera house in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause that at the time was like one of the main forms of entertainment for, exactly. for people. And now it's something that I think is really considered by most people to be a bit of a rarity. Mm -hmm. Right. Or antiquated old right. fashioned. Right. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions around that. Cause I don't know much about opera. Mm -hmm. Like, like are people still composing new, mm -hmm. new uh, pieces? Very and good question. are they being performed? Yes. And is it something that you as a singer, are seeking out, like, how, how does that work? Like, how do yeah. you know when a new, you know, suppose I was uh, not as ambitious as you were, and I was sitting in my basement, and I had a beautiful voice, or I had an incredible ear for music, and I wanted to connect to this art form, but like, you know, I, I wouldn't know where to start. Well, that's a great question. There are so many parts to that question, George. Let me just start with the contemporary, contemporary opera portion of that question. Yes, people are still composing operas and they are very interesting, very exciting and very relevant to what's going on right now. Is there an example uh, we would there's know There's an of? example because I sang in a few of these new operas, one of them being uh, The Life and Times of X by oh, Anthony yeah. Davis. Oh, yeah. It's an awesome, an opera? awesome opera about Malcolm X. I sang Betty Shabazz with New York City what? Opera. That's right. And then uh, <laughs> and then the opera Harriet Tubman by Inkiru Okoyu. And uh, I sang the, one, the world premiere of that here in New York uh, at American Opera Projects, which is in Brooklyn. They do amazing new operas that have been picked up by opera companies. Uh, is that part of BAM or that complex? No, it's not a part of BAM, but they have – I think they have worked with BAM in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and then – 
there is an opera called We Shall Not Be Moved about the Philadelphia Row House bombing, where there were young African-Americans and Latinos squatting in the houses because they were they had aged out of the foster care system. I mean, it was an amazing opera, and they did it at the Apollo Theater in conjunction with Philadelphia Opera. Whoa. So there's all this great art going on in our communities that people don't know about, and some people do know about. I mean, a lot of times these shows are packed. The, the audience is packed, but there are people who have engaged with the Apollo or engaged with Philadelphia Opera. They've added their names to the mailing list. They they follow them on social media. So when something that piques their interest comes up on the radar, they know about it. That's really one of my questions. Like, mm-hmm. why don't I know about that? As somebody who would love to see all three of those shows you just mentioned, mm-hmm. is it because there's a lack of funding for advertising these projects mm-hmm. or... Do is there, um, you know, some people think of opera as being a bit like snooty and it's like mm-hmm. an exclusive community, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning like only people with money and, and affluence and interest in the fine arts are people that are patrons of it. Mm-hmm. But the three shows you just mentioned, sound that interesting, doesn't, right? yeah, that doesn't sound like yeah. it's, it's like snooty. <laughs> so we don't have the advertising dollars that say Broadway does. And that's unfortunate because Broadway has producers. They have people coming in and 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 spending lots of money on 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 advertising and marketing. And uh, they have commercials on television. Sometimes big opera companies in large cities are able to do that. But a lot of time, the smaller opera companies or even a company like New York City Opera may not have the budget for a television commercial, which is where a lot of people would would see a, a commercial about The Lion King or Aladdin on Broadway or something like that. Opera, we are able to do that sometimes. And then there's local news stations, sometimes local news stations will cover operas that are in their area and sometimes they don't and then there are uh you know i wish that we would do more crossover work in opera for instance um with other arts with other arts like we used to broadway and television opera singers used to be very much involved in late night television or daytime television or even having uh, spot roles, featured roles on television shows from time to time. That doesn't happen as much as it used to. And and to to expound on that, I I that even brings me back to the whole social media question for our industry and how we should be using social media, how we should uh, frame what we put on social media as well in order to drive people to uh, the operatic genre. So that's that's something that we're working on. It's getting better. There are uh, digital media departments in some of the opera companies. So so we're coming. We're, we're moving forward. For instance, I just sang Aida in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. With Bohem Opera, New Jersey. I'm sorry, I couldn't make that. Yeah. I wanted to go out there. That's okay. I know it's kind of far for you, though. Yeah. It's okay. I was trying to get to New York so I could then get out there, but Mm -hmm. I apologize. I really want to come see one of your shows. Well, I want you to, so we'll make sure we try to make that happen in the future. Absolutely. (laughs) So the AIDA, this company has been there for 30 years. It was their 30-year anniversary some of the people in their community did not know that they had an opera company. (laughs) And they've been there for 30 years. That's my point. So my goal when I was there 
was to help market the company and the show. So on my two days off, <laughs> I worked. That first day I went to one of the largest churches in the area. I sang, I hugged babies, I, I took pictures. I said, you guys have got to come see this show. You're going to love it. And many of the people did come from that congregation. And that Friday night, the audience was about halfway full. And I did a couple of, of newspaper interviews. The conductor and general director of the company did radio interviews. And I also did a meet and greet at my host home. And we invited about 70 people from the community. And I said, invite your friends and your frenemies. <laughs> we want everybody to come because yeah. people need to know that this is here. Right. On Sunday, it was standing room only. It was amazing. amazing. So it worked. So so we had to do a really big push to get the word out. And the people who attended were in amazement. They loved, loved, loved the show. At this particular opera company, they didn't have the money for a huge elaborate set. But what they did is they they were able to find beautiful uh, digital projections and they used those digital projections to enhance the atmosphere of the set that they did have. And it was very effective in communicating the story. So that's what I wanted to say very about cool. that. <laughs> um, so the, the Trenton uh, Opera House is still in use. So no, they used the performance venue at the, um, at the New Jersey College of New Jersey. Oh, yeah. So there's, there used is. Used to be Trenton State. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. And so there is a a pit. There's an orchestra pit and a stage. And I think the 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 house holds about eight hundred seventy five people. Oh, wow. So it's not a huge house. It may be more than that. I may be a little off, but it seems like it was about maybe eight hundred to twelve hundred seats in the house. Is the Newark Opera House still in use? The Newark Symphony Hall, actually, is now run by a lady called Tanisha Laird, uh, Tanisha Land Naird. She's the new president and CEO, and they are in the process of doing a renovation and uh, just in inviting arts organizations to produce their shows in that hall, in addition to what they already have at the NJ Pack there in Newark. So was that the former Newark Opera House or is I, that another I, building that is now I, like an office building? I think or they call it a symphony hall. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I think I told you this once, my family who grew up in South Orange there, my grandparents mm -hmm. used to have a, a lighting company called Manly Lighting and yeah. they made the chandelier for the Newark Opera House. And, and I, I don't know what it is now. I really hope. There's still a plaque, evidently, that says, like, the company went out of business in the Great Depression because nobody paid for their chandeliers. Right. Like, we did the chandelier <laughs> and the Waldorf Astoria and everything. Wow. But, that but is the, so amazing. But I, I'm just, I've never seen that chandelier, and I want to know, like, how do I? Well, I know Tanisha. Um, personally, so we'll, I'll connect. Do you, you think with her. it's that building? Maybe no. I think I'm home? pretty sure it's that building. Cool. And I've seen photographs of the inside of the building, but I wasn't really paying attention to the lighting. But I have a feeling those chandeliers might still be there. Cool. So I'll connect you with her. Hopefully, they keep them in the renovations. That oh they're doing. yeah. Oh, if they don't, yeah, I want to buy it. Exactly. <laughs> I want you to buy it. <laughs> 
Um, awesome. <laughs> so coming up, we're going to hear uh, how Marsha has used her incredible talents to brand herself and find new opportunities and new streams of revenue. And more importantly, we're going to get an exclusive opportunity to hear Marsha perform her incredible voice. To learn more about solar and to hear more solar stories, visit solar.com or visit our Instagram channel, solar.hq. I would love for you to speak a bit on kind of where you're going now with your craft, how you're using your voice and your talents to um, connect to other opportunities, not only in your life, but to do the things I know you're passionate about, like celebrating your medium and getting a chance for um, new people to learn about opera. So my my nifty brand manager sitting over here to my left <laughs> is uh, ha- is really been great for me. My brother is a wonderful uh, entertainment attorney and um, resource because he has so much experience now in the industry. And I'm the one who actually told him that he should be doing entertainment law <laughs> because he just, he just has a way with people and he, he's very um, charismatic. And I said, you know, I don't know if a firm job would be great for you and entertainment is great. And, and, and you're good with, with entertainer types. So he did. He went into the industry, and um, and so he said to me. He said once he was helping some of his clients. He said to me. He says, you know, you got to get your Instagram numbers up. And I said, really? I said, I really have to focus on that. He says, yeah. You don't log in often enough. <laughs> so I had to start logging in. And what I'm going to be working on in the future with my IG is posting more videos mm-hmm. of myself singing. And it's it's always so, so strange because usually when I'm rehearsing, I want to record myself so that I can go back and hear it later. And so, so you have the recording. So I have the recording, but no, I have to do video. So usually it ends up becoming a selfie video because I, I don't have a team of people, but it works so well. People really love videos on IG. And I think that's really where the platform is going. Yeah. It's going towards video more than more so than just photos, even though it's definitely all about voyeurism. <laughs> People want to see and hear and watch and they want to know right. more. And this is why, of course, uh, you know, we, we are able to bring more people to the industry, excuse me, hopefully bring more people to the industry. Look at Twitter. I mean, they started out as 140 characters. They thought that was so ingenious. So let's yeah. box everybody into that form of communication. Yeah. Now they're doing video clips and yeah. You know, they've yeah. doubled their their uh, uh, their character count exactly. and you can link to all other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah. that video is is really the um the the media that is well, first of all, it it literally drives the most numbers in terms of engagement online. Mm-hmm. That's why it, like somebody's story on Instagram is typically like 10 times more viewed than an individual post. Absolutely. Because people want to dive into the lives of the people yes, they're following, right? Absolutely. And they that's, want, Chris is absolutely right. They like want to see you. Right. We don't even, <laughs> to, I mean, we've just recently actually started engaging more with our followers on Solar's Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And and already we've seen results. Yeah. We've seen, you know, there are more people following us because when you're active online, people have a reason to look at you, right? Yep. They want to, they want to, they don't want to just look at you. They want to see you, you know, they want to see into your world, right. see into your life. And right. I don't have a problem with that. There are lots of people who are very secretive and I probably should be more secretive, <laughs> but I'm not. So, <laughs> so I just sort of put it out there. My brother's like, yeah, but we got to give you a little filter sometimes. <laughs> he says, because you, you sort of overshare because I get so enthusiastic, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. So that's what I'm doing, and also. But what do you want? What do you want to get out of that? Like, are, are you just you know you're not you're not a philanthropist only in the sense that you're trying to promote you know my art. Uh, your art. You're also trying to promote yourself. So absolutely, what, what do you want to get out of it? Well, eventually, obviously, it, it it has to compute as an additional stream of income, which is why I've become a solar influencer. I love solar. <laughs> I'm really excited about the platform we and being you. an influencer. And I can't wait to start posting uh, from my solar store because I have some awesome items in my solar store that uh, that I want to share with other people because I'm a total product whore. <laughs> so I well, love... Well, then you're a perfect candidate for us. <laughs> I'm a perfect candidate. Like, give me more products so I can talk about it. And Well, it's yeah. funny because we do, I mean, not only love you personally, I love you personally, but um, I think that you, like people like you and Ty... Are, it's it's quite literally what I presented to like Procter and Gamble last week in Cincinnati. When yeah. I'm going through all of the influencers that currently are live with solar, I highlight you. I highlight Ty always, mm -hmm. and it's because you. you guys are such unique artists. Most people wouldn't think of an opera singer or a violinist as an influencer, mm -hmm. but in fact, you're such um, unique artists in like these like micro, you know, I would say high end worlds that um, people are like, wow, you really have a diversified, uh, you meaning solar, have a diversified uh, idea of what a person of influence is. Mm -hmm. And they like that. It mm -hmm. makes us different. And, yes. and, and, and you're, you're a reason for that. So I'm, thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> I mean, for, for, for quite a while now, opera singers have been uh, uh, the brand ambassadors for companies like Rolex and, sure. and, and Rolls Royce and, and Cartier. I think uh, Anna Trebko, I hope I'm saying this right. I think she has a contract with Cartier Diamonds. Yeah. yeah. And she's a, an ambassador for Cartier. Well, so can I ask so, you about that? That was kind of what I was getting at earlier. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, the like classic patron of opera is a very wealthy person. Like when I think of opera, I think of it mm -hmm. as um, uh, almost like polo is to sport, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you go to polo, you have to get dressed up, right? Mm -hmm. When you go to the opera, like like when you go to like the Met or whatever, you like most people wear black tie, right? No. No? Okay. Like, so you can go to the Met got, in jeans. You've got on your sneakers, your jeans, and your plaid shirt over there. I've seen people at the opera dressed exactly like that, especially dependent on the, the venue. Yeah. So for out for for instance, outdoor venues like Wolf Trap and Tanglewood right. and and uh, th those venues, absolutely you can dress down. And people also go to the Metropolitan Opera relatively dressed down these days. 
case. It's not expected at the Metropolitan Opera Gala. Of course, they wear black tie and that's evening like, gowns. That's and... still considered one of the premier places to show off fashion in absolutely, the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a red carpet. And, and a lot of people still, I mean, I went to the opera a couple of months ago before I started traveling again this year. And I saw ladies at the opera with long gowns on. Because it was a, it was a special evening for them right. and the person that they were attending with, and I saw people who were dressed down and had on a nice pair of pants and a shirt. That's it, you know. So some people keep it simple, and some people want to dress, and no one is judged based upon what they're wearing or what they're not wearing because the audience is so much more diversified from a socioeconomic perspective now right. because we the Metropolitan Opera has tickets now for I think $35 oh. and there are uh, last minute tickets that may go for 25 if I'm not mistaken so so there are tickets from $35 all the way up to $485 <laughs> and 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 there's so the the audience reflects the ticket price and just like uh, on Broadway, you know, so it is accessible for everyone and especially in smaller cities, opera tickets are very right. uh, accessible and affordable and, and um, the, 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 the array of type of the types of shows that you're able to see are so much more diverse than it used to be because of so the then- new operas. And I believe you, but mm-hmm. if if why isn't that playing out in the world of advertising? Like, then why mm-hmm. wouldn't an opera singer get sponsored by Hershey's? Why is it Cartier exactly. and Rolls-Royce? <laughs> why, why are Broadway singers sometimes more uh, visible right. than opera singers? That's right. And it's, it, it, it all has to do with education of the people who are out there right now in making money. Right. So in opera, we've spent a lot of time educating children we a lot of opera companies do children's shows which is a way for them to bring in revenue through grants Mm -hmm. but that's not in my opinion the best way to bring in new audiences the best way to bring in new audience and i'm giving away my intellectual capital here for free but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) the best way i think is to do this is your philanthropy exactly it's lunch and learns at a company like Blackstone, for instance, right, where right. you've got new Wall Street money. The people there have spent their whole lives taking economics and finance classes or whatever you know business classes that they've been taking and getting their uh, advanced undergraduate and, and master's and sometimes Ph.D. degrees at these big firms. But they are not really culturally active, culturally enlightened. So we should be marketing to these people that industry going is not to, very diverse either. exactly <laughs> and going to hospitals and doing lunch and learns for nurses and doctors right and, and lunch and learns for people who work at procter and gamble right. those are the people who are going to be our audiences right. our new audiences not children those are the people who have the discretionary money to bring their children to the opera so uh, i think i think the way that we're educating the general population is is not that effective in my opinion so uh, hopefully so how does that get changed well you have to work with people in the industry um i thought about doing a company that specializes in that i don't know if i'm going to do it anymore but i hope that someone takes the idea and brings it into fruition because i have other things that i'd like to do right now well right now you know on solar i mean solar is a great platform right and we're going to sell a lot 
of product. <laughs> <laughs> and I I have an idea for a product line that I'd like to bring to solar. And that's probably going to take up some of my time. Also, I have next year is Beethoven's uh, 250th birth anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I would like to produce a concert and tour that concert. And so I'm working on that right now. Wow. That's one of my big That's projects big I'm deal. working on. Yep. It's one of my projects that I'm working on. You're going to get Ty involved in that? Uh, I don't know. We haven't discussed it because, you know, our, our, our schedules are so uh, different. Well, we learned yesterday, so, or at least I did, that her favorite piece is his uh violin concerto which actually she performed a piece of which it. i had no idea so i mean yeah. she would be like <laughs> very connected to the idea of celebrating beethoven and his birthday i think it, you should reach out to her. i think we should i think we should and the fact that i was a i'm a former former violinist i have to be specific about that because there's no way i could play violin with these nails <laughs> so and and i'm so obsessed with nails now because i never i didn't have nails for like the first 28 years of my life so yeah but I, that would be great so the last thing on the specific art of opera um I really, when I think of opera, I think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but opera singers um, have such a dynamic range Mm -hmm. that in my mind, they're like a whole step above like even other singers, rock and roll singers, all of that, right? (laughs) And so, and then even within the opera world, Mm -hmm. there are good voices and sort Mm -hmm. of maybe popular voices but they're not really as dynamic as like mm-hmm. the biggest and the best um, yes. um so talk a little bit about that because is that true like could the could is the weakest opera singer actually a better have a better range and a better control of their voice than say you know a, a popular rock and roll star that we would know and then on up or am i just mm-hmm. is it just a different art form and the way that they express themselves means that it sounds like they have a mm-hmm. a bigger and better voice and control but really it's just the way that they're trained george that was a very good question um because a lot of people want to compare pop singers or mm-hmm. jazz singers or people who sing popular music to operatic singers. Right. It's like comparing oil and water. It's completely different. It's, there's no real equivalence, period. Because operatic training includes a style of singing with the voice that is called bel canto Mm -hmm. or beautiful singing and the mechanism the way we use the vocal mechanism is completely different which is why we're not miked (laughs) yeah so when i'm singing because you're really belting it out you're you're, it's about it's about volume well so there's no belting (laughs) there's belting in pop music and on broadway from time to on Broadway from when the show requires it. But in opera, we use the actual mechanism of the voice, the column of the vocal uh, of the of the of the throat, mm-hmm. the larynx and the lungs and the support system of the diaphragm and all of the muscles in the stomach and the back to support the voice and to create resonance Mm -hmm. and the resonance is what is able to reach people in the audience over an orchestra pit so the so that you can hear us in a 2000 plus seat house without being mic'd that is so cool it is really cool no idea 
That is so what you we do. Get specifically trained in how to use that that those me- that parts act- of your body that <laughs> a- that aspect of the vocal mechanism. In pop, the belting voice is just the chest resonance, right? The chest resonance and the air flowing over the vocal folds to create a sound that is not necessarily connected to all of the resonance of the body and the bel canto technique. Now, there are some pop singers like Beyonce, whom I love. I'm a part of the beehive. (laughs) Uh, There are some pop singers who have been classically trained and who can access that part of their voice. Mm -hmm. And she has that capability. Also, Mariah Carey. What about like a Whitney Houston? Whitney Houston did have some capabilities, but she didn't always use them. She used a lot of what I call the yodel flip into the head voice, Okay, but it was not an an operatic sound. So there is a difference between using head voice that, extends throughout the chest and through the resonate the resonance of the body for the bel canto technique as opposed to a pop singer technique which um which is not going to more than likely resonate over a band or an orchestra without being mic'd so are you saying that that if uh a trained opera singer like yourself mm-hmm. was to sing uh a popular pop song mm-hmm. it would not sound better or or so, so that's a good question if i sang a pop song yeah. then i would use pop technique right which and I so you may teach. or may not actually sound better because it's a different voice exactly and you're not as trained in that exactly for Got me it. specifically Got because it. there are some opera singers who can flip it and they can sing gospel and pop and and opera pretty well but usually the operatic voice training the mechanism will not allow you to effectively sing opera so a lot of opera singers who ha- already had a natural belt can sing pop music very well but they aren't necessarily the best opera singers <laughs> all right so that's <laughs> because a- because opera's precision based right you have to sing in tune you have to sing certain notes a certain way and that requires a certain kind of control right that is that you just don't use in pop singing. Right. It's it's a different approach. So <laughs> who would you consider to be um, one of the most dynamic voices uh, either of modern day or of all time that somebody who actually just had so much ability could literally – do both. Move, yeah, between both and, mm. and, and was a, a star in both. Um, I don't think there have ever been stars in both, only because the opera world sort of looks down <laughs> upon, or I shouldn't say look down upon. Let me change well, that. Well, but don't, it's don't funny. There you, there, but there you go again, because <laughs> th- to me, that's a piece of why opera is elite you think is it's elite elitist? it's elitist it's it it doesn't resonate I with the everyday man because and that's another reason why there aren't a lot of dollars behind like making it a very accessible medium well i would say that the opera purists i should say operatic purists from a technical perspective are not going to take someone serious who sings a lot of pop music and so if I were pursuing a career as a pop singer, 
simultaneously, I probably wouldn't (laughs) delve into it very publicly. Right. I would release the pop album and say, here it is, folks. But it wouldn't be... But you wouldn't say I'm an opera singer that's now got a pop album out. No, I wouldn't say that. And a lot of... There have been a few opera singers to do that, and their pop album was not well received. Well, so is Andrea Bocelli a pop singer or an opera singer? We call him Papara. (laughs) <laughs> right, so he's sort of a crossover example, right? He's a crossover example, yeah. And Josh Grogan, for example, was classically trained, and he and he has vibrato in the voice. But if he were, if he said one day, "I'm no longer going to be a pop sensation," because he is a, what I would consider a popular musician, even though there's vibrato in the voice. If he said one day, "I'm going to go sing opera," he would really have to take time to to fix some things technically in order to actually make it as an opera singer. (laughs) Can I um, go out there and say that I think I might be able to identify a pop singer who might be able to be a good opera singer? I think you should do that. Aaron Neville. No. No? No. But doesn't he have vibrato? Doesn't he have that, like, isn't he someone who can really control that slow resonance? And it sounds to me like it's coming from somewhere much deeper in his body. So there is a difference between pop falsetto yep. and an actual tenor operatic voice. Right. That's well, no, he doesn't thing. have a – well, he does have a falsetto. But I'm more yeah. referring to his low, how he can take his – let's call it resonance. But like he has that slow sort of – you know, like when he sings that I don't know any other singer that can control that uh, in the popular world. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I mean I, I'm guessing. But you, you, you don't think so because you don't think his voice is, is – uh, it it would not it could it, switch it wouldn't it wouldn't switch up no that's so interesting <laughs> it really is I had no but idea you that... have definitely said there are people that you feel like got a pop pass like Whitney because she was so dynamic with her voice that people yeah. in opera have definitely given her some oh absolutely yeah. now listen right. <laughs> there are phenomenal pop singers Mariah Carey in her heyday phenomenal Mariah uh, Whitney Houston phenomenal. Aretha Franklin, phenomenal. George Michael. George Michael, phenomenal. Love him. Yeah. Love all of them. Celine Dion is... Celine Dion, amazing. But it's just it's just a different way of accessing the head voice. And right. And I, I think that's what you're thinking about. No, I'm... You're I'm, thinking I'm, about yeah. head voice and then someone being able to add vibrato to the that's voice. That's right, yeah. As being an operatic technique. But the voice is supposed to vibrate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actu- that's actually just healthy pop singing. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, how would you – would you put Lady Gaga in a, a world of great pop singers in terms of – Absolutely. Her... Okay. okay. Yeah, Gaga's awesome. Okay. And she studied at Tisch at NYU. She studied – So she's a music major. <laughs> and she studied voice. She's and she head... studied voice, I think, piano – Gaga's, yeah, she's a great Gaga's a force. Yeah, she yeah, is. she's she she's good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's take another break, and I would uh, I can't wait to hear you sing. <laughs> um, when we come back, though, I want to talk to you about, or I want to hear um, uh, a personal story. I want to hear something that um, our listeners probably uh, don't know about you, and maybe never would if I didn't pull it out of you right now. 
So we've talked about your art form. We've talked about a bit about your story. Um, but I really want to know more, and this is – I want Christopher to chime in on this as well. I really want to know more about what I consider to be your unique challenge, which truly is unique. Like I'm not – I don't know of any other opera singer that's also trying to become an influencer – who's also trying to like generate other forms of income through other opportunities that are also passions of yours, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, you've mm -hmm. also had a regular career, like a day job, you know, mm -hmm. so like that you have a very specific, um, first of all, you're a specific person that I find fascinating, but you're also, you have a unique challenge to take your talents, which I was saying before, are sort of in this like elitist world and bring it to, to a, a larger audience oh, and yes. do it with so and do it with authenticity mm -hmm. and do it without the baggage of what some people think right. is elitist, uh, is elitist do, and yeah. without the baggage yeah. of what some people think an influencer is right I mean, exactly the other thing is too is like like even with pop music pop just means popular that's it right and so i think what used to happen which is so strange i feel like there was more of a crossover push for opera formerly with pop with opera stars like Pavarotti and and Leontine Price and right. like they were in the circle the right. entertainment circle right and at large they uh, Whitney freaking Warren Moon you know and and Leontine and 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 Madonna and they're all in the same room you know and so I feel like there was more connectedness formerly and there's some kind of way that has like dissipated but i think it needs to be brought back because mm -hmm. it's still art elitist or not it's art mm -hmm. what you gonna do with that in mm -hmm. tosca but it's in bc darty like i'm gonna <laughs> 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 roll here <laughs> or labo m or whatever i'm saying it's, yeah. it's still art right well labo m was on broadway the opera La Boheme was on Broadway. Right. And it was one of the longest running shows on Broadway. No, right? no, no, it was a short run. Oh, okay. But the point is, is that they... It hasn't it come back they... several times? Pardon? Hasn't La Boheme been on Broadway at several points? No, there was a, the, there was a La Boheme on Broadway. If, uh, if we look it up, I don't know how many years it ran. It may have just been two years, but it was a very popular production on yeah. Broadway yeah. because of I the costuming and it was a young, gorgeous cast and with amazing voices. I have a friend, uh, Janina Burnett, who is now singing Carlotta in Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, who was in the La Boheme on Broadway. She was one of the the members of the cast and and she's saying uh I think she was one of the Musettas in the cast. At any rate, uh she she was in the show and it, it ran and it was a, a great success. So why that is not done in that way in opera houses more often, I have no idea. So we're we're they're working on it. Um, the unique challenges that I have, obviously, is making sure that my social influence life, my my social media influence life, doesn't conflict in any way with my operatic life. I have to make sure that I'm always engaging the people in a way that reminds them that this is my art. 
That you're an artist. That I'm an artist, an entertainer, that I'm an opera singer primarily. And even if I do branch out and do other things, it's all because I want to bring people back to the art form. It's not a betrayal of your art form. It's not a betrayal of my art because sometimes people in the operatic world sort of see people who go outside of the art form as betraying the art form. This is actually becoming less and less of an issue these days, though. But that... So so it, it was an issue maybe like 10, 15 years ago. But now with social media, people in our industry are starting to understand the importance of, of melding various areas of our lives into the art form. So that's, that's becoming um, a greater, uh, there's, a, there's a greater understanding surrounding that nowadays. Yeah. And not as much stigma in the industry. So listen, our industry was run by people who had a very um, sort of old-fashioned way of thinking about marketing and and communicating. And there are still people in our industry, unfortunately, who don't even like to text or email. And these are people who work for opera companies or are even agents sometimes, not necessarily American agents, but in other countries. And so in general, I think... From a world perspective for our industry, people in general are now bringing new breath and bringing younger people into the industry to work in administration at these opera companies who are understanding the importance of communication, communicating digitally and marketing digitally as well. So I want to be a part of that drive in our industry, and that's why I'm a part of Solar, because I'm very passionate about getting the word out, but I'm also passionate about my brand. I mean, you know, in our in our industry, I don't think there's anybody like me. There, there isn't. That's my point. <laughs> and a lot of people have told me that. I think some you're, people... You're an anomaly. You really are. You have a unique I mean, there are other... connection to several things. To several things I do. I do have a unique connection to several things uh, because of my past and the other industries that I've worked in simultaneously while maintaining an operatic career. So, uh, so there are other African-American opera singers who do other things as well and they have unique stories but um we are not similar in the trajectory of our stories right you know right and also you're probably younger uh not necessarily no no. no. there are some there are some young millennials okay who are doing well in the industry have you seen um the documentary RBG about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I haven't, and I want to see it. Is it on Netflix? Yes, it is. Okay, and it's, good. It's, uh, it's really good. I mean, her story is... She's amazing. She is a superwoman. Every article um, that I see about her, I read the article. <laughs> she, re- she really is, like, unbelievable. Have I mean, you met I mean, her? No, no. But the reason I bring her up is because she is a obsessive opera fan. Yes, she is. I yeah. do have I do have opera singer friends who have met her. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean that is her like she talks about how much uh opera throughout the decades has inspired her to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And it's like her place of meditation. It's like her church. Yes. And that and literally that comes out in how she's describing her life. Mm-hmm. And to see this person who is so inspiring, mm-hmm. be so inspired by an art form, mm-hmm. it's really kind of amazing. 
So, George, Uh, we're going to bring you back to the art form. I know you've attended a few operas, but I want to take you to a really cool opera the next time. Yeah, I want to go to that one in the Apollo. I want to see that one about the squatters. (laughs) So that that's no longer at the Apollo. And I think Philadelphia. it's not in Philly. However, I will look it up and I'll let you know. Thank you. Which which city it's in. Yeah. Well, the the next opera I'm going to go to is going to be you performing. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So um, before we hear your amazing voice, and um, uh, I I really want to connect, I want to peel a layer of the onion back, and I want you to tell us something about yourself that uh, most of your fans or followers wouldn't know. I would like you to say something even that maybe your family and friends don't know about you because they're hopefully going to listen to this episode as well. And um, I think that would make uh, me very happy. So in the last act of my life, (laughs) I would like to be a psychoanalyst, psychotherapist. What? Yep. And I'm probably going to have to go back to school. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe when I'm 65. But I want to help people in my industry and elsewhere. And I'm going to do sex therapy. Sex (laughs) therapy. Yep. And family therapy. That's what I want to do. Wait, did you know this, Chris? And I want, (laughs) and my mother, my mother knows this. I think my sisters may know this, but other people don't know this about me that I've always wanted to have a, own a sex store. And I want to have like classes about (laughs) sex and toys and birth control because we desperately need it. We desperately need something like that in Harlem because everybody's not going to the clinic. Right. But people are buying condoms. Yeah. So I want to have all the different colors and flavors Some of condoms. <laughs> like I want to have everything. Right. And I, we need a store, but we've got so many churches in Harlem that we can't have a store. Right. <laughs> so, so you're talking about having like I a, want a, store, a sex store that's also a place of like education. A place of education. But how does the psychoanalysis wanna, have, fit in? You want I want to have classes for couples, classes for singles. And, um, and then of course, I mean, I want to have the store, but I don't know if I'm going to go to school before I have the store or if I'm going to have the store and then go to school, but all of that goes hand in hand. So you're going to so, do opera master classes and sex no, 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 I'm going to be done with opera by then. I mean, I will have done it, you know, Not on my watch, <laughs> you're going to be hollering until we put you in the ground as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Yeah. I don't know about that. So, wait, well, well, let me ask you something. If that's a passion of yours, uh huh, why wait until then? Well, because now I still want to sing. Oh, got it. I okay. still want to sing, and singing take is singing is a jealous lover. I mean, right now I've got to learn a trio from an opera in German <laughs> because I have a concert next week. So I'm cramming uh, yet again. I had a concert on Sunday. Oh my God, I can't imagine the pressure. I sang Mozart. How do you Mozart's... sing in another language? Oh. If you don't speak that language. Fluently. Well, well oh, we do. We she... study the languages. She speaks four languages. Yeah. Fluently? No, I don't speak fluently. I used to speak French fluently, but I don't practice that much. She my Italian, Italian very well. was almost fluent. So I still speak Whatever. French and I'm Italian. With her My and German's not great. She speaks very well with them. <laughs> Do you know that? Um... Italians tell me I speak good Italian. And French people tell me my French is okay. <laughs> and you... Germans just look at Spanish? me. Do you speak Spanish? 
I do speak some Spanish, not as well as I used to when I first moved here from Texas. And German people just look at me and say, let's just do this in English. What is it about? Um, <laughs> it's actually all the romantic languages. Uh, what is it about hearing them in a uh, song that is sexy? Like, for example, have you heard the um, have you heard the remix of that Post Malone song, um, Sunflower, where the two Spanish guys, I don't know who they are. But the Latin guys sing with no. him. You're gonna oh have to play God. that. Oh, for me. I will play it for you. It's it's my new favorite song. Okay. And at my wedding, our favorite music that was played was the Puerto Rican music. It's there's something about hearing Italian, French, or Spanish sung mm-hmm. is is it just connects at least with me. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people feel this way because you mm-hmm. you see it when like Puerto Rican music comes on, everybody starts moving. Mm-hmm. There's just something about that. And so my dream in like a world that doesn't exist would be able to like sing one of those languages passionately into the mic to my wife. <laughs> I think we should work on that, George. Yes, I think we should. Okay. But my point is um how do you do that? Like if you don't actually like speak the the language every day in your life, mm. how do you then sing it passionately to an audience? That's a really good question. And again, we are all required in undergraduate school to study two foreign languages. So in undergrad, since I was not familiar with Italian and German, I studied those two languages. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the most common um well, opera, opera languages, operas, right? The composers. Well, there's a lot of opera in Italian mm-hmm. and a lot in German and a lot in French. Mm-hmm. So those are the top three languages other than English that we study in right. and sing in the most. And then there's also Russian, there's Spanish, there's Czech, there's Portuguese, there's... What about Latin, is that... Latin, because all of the oratorios, which mm-hmm. is... Is sacred text Mm -hmm. set to music sung with soloists, chorus, and orchestra. Oratorios are mostly written in Latin, Mm -hmm. like the Verdi Requiem, Mm -hmm. the Brahms Requiem, the Mozart Requiem, which I just performed back in March. So, uh, So, yes, we study several languages. I think I sing in about 10 or 11 languages. Hebrew. I sing in Hebrew. Oh, wow. um, and it's so we Romanian? Uh, Romanian is very similar to Italian. It's the so, f- so most I, people don't know it's the fifth romantic language. Yes, it is, and Romanian's very similar to Italian. So if I had to sing in Romanian, I could. Right. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Well, can we hear you sing? Yes. Amazing. What are you gonna sing for us? I'm going to sing Visidarte, which is I lived for art, and the other part is Visi d'amore. I also lived for love. It's from the opera Tosca by Puccini. And since I don't have accompaniment, I'm not going to sing the whole aria for you. I'm going to start sort of in the middle so we can get through the end of the aria and maybe do a small little closeout chat. <laughs> okay. Is okay. that okay? Yes, yes. Of Are course you ready, it is. George? I can't wait. Okay. Did 
gli astri al cielo che neridian più belli teaser to of something else you said? Marcia, that was incredible. Thank you so much for performing for us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being here and sharing your story. And thank you again for being part of the Solar Family. So how can people get in touch with you? Um, How can people follow you? How can people find you? You can find me on my website, www.marshathompson.com. I'm on Facebook at Marsha Thompson and also Instagram and Twitter at Divaria Show, D-I-V-A-R-I-A-S-H-O-W. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's it for Solar Stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back next time for another great guest and another great story on the art and business of influence. I'm George Manley. This is where the story starts. We can't wait to hear yours. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. You can find more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2019, Solar Inc., all rights reserved. Thank you for listening.